Uh, okay, so uh, Pastor Zach's been teaching on a few Wednesdays as I've been gone. Um, I don't even know where I've been, but I know I've been gone. And uh, leaving uh, tomorrow morning for Ireland and be gone till the 9th. Uh, and it's not business, it's Michelle and I are just getting away. And uh, somebody invited us to go and we said yes. So we're going with three other couples. Um, one woman, this will probably be the last trip she'll ever have the chance to take. She's got inoperable uh, brain tumor, brain cancer. And um, her husband is um, a very highly connected political advisor uh, in the country. Uh, has run the campaigns of, if I mentioned the candidates, you'd know every one of them. Um, and he came to Christ through David Lane and what we've been doing across the country with the American Renewal Projects. And his wife has always been a believer. And she's been praying for him to come to Christ. He came to Christ. He's lost like a hundred and something pounds. He looks great. He used to be massively overweight like me. And, uh, and he came to Christ. And, and now this strength in his life, his wife has been diagnosed with this inoperable brain tumor. And uh, there's absolute joy that she's so excited about this trip. And it's going to be an opportunity just to see God move and minister. And so um, it, it, it'll be a very profound trip. And I'd ask you just keep it in prayer. Uh, and, and I'm asking for a miracle for her. So, amen? All right, and <clears throat> because Zach has been teaching, I just assume he finished Acts 2, and so I studied 3. And he said, no, I did that too. <laughs> and so we're in 4. So let's open up to Acts chapter 4. And if you need a Bible... Uh, John will get you one, and Keith will get you one. Raise your hand, they'll hand you a Bible. And Tony will get you a Bible. All right. Now, keep your place in Acts chapter 4, because I I was touched in my studies uh, in Acts chapter 2 that I never got a chance to share, because Zach covered it. Would you just briefly indulge me and go back to, hold your place in Acts 4, but go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It'll tie in, trust me. But let me pray. Lord, please bless the study of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would pour yourself out upon us tonight, that we would be deeply touched and mightily moved for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was contemplating, um, as we're looking at the United States of America, um, if, if you look at Barna or any of the other major polling organizations, um, folks who do statistical analysis, it's estimated that folks who go to church every Sunday uh, in like a Wednesday service, read their Bible on a daily basis, uh, 10 prayer services, this picture of, a, of what is a vibrant evangelical community represents about 15 to 17% of America. We're in a postmodern culture. The church in America is now declining. Um, If you want to take the faith community as a whole with 85 million, which would be the largest minority in America, that would be incorporating a lot of churches that you you never even see see the Bible cracked. Nobody opens them. Uh, You come, you get sunshine blown your way, you go home. If you were to be, if you ask somebody who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they could not answer you. Who, Who were the, name five of the apostles, they'd have no clue. They couldn't name the first four Gospels, if you asked them. Uh, they, they couldn't distinguish between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You could throw out verses and, you know, money is the root of all evil. They would, they would say, oh, yes, I've heard that. But it's not true. That's not, God helps those who help themselves. Where is that in the Bible? They would go, well, it's in the Bible. They, that's the biblical illiteracy of our nation. We have so strayed from this foundation we've been given. And here we are today where 15 to 17% of Americans are doing what you're doing. You're in a midweek study You've brought your Bibles. You probably woke up this morning, had a devotion. You spent time in prayer. You're pursuing the Lord. There's a hunger for righteousness. There's a desire to grow in the things of God. You represent a very, very, very small portion of America. And that wasn't always the case. Um, at the turn of the, of the century, from the 1800s to the 1900s, uh, 97% of all of England went to church on a Sunday. Here we are in 2015, and they say less than 3% of England goes to church on a Sunday. In Scotland, they're estimating that Christianity will be completely removed from Scotland by 2028. Uh, there's, there's, they're saying now that there's more active mosques in England than there are active churches. Now, there are more church buildings, but if you go on a tour of England, those churches are completely empty. Um, and they're saying that there's more active mosques in England than there are active churches. 
So we're watching as this nation of, of ours is in a postmodern uh, realm. And, and it's, you know, we're decrying what is occurring. We're, we're watching as um, this is moved all the way up to the highest levels of government. We're watching Supreme Court decisions just fly in the face of everything that we've seen as constitutional. Uh, what our, our Bill of Rights would, would in, ascribe to us, these unalienable rights, that they're just, they're just being stifled, stomped, and, and removed. And, and as we cry, it seems as though we're the only ones crying. We're watching graphic conversations of presidents of Planned Parenthood where the federal government is giving $500 million as they're talking about selling baby parts. And we're more concerned with Cecil the lion who's been uh, shot with an arrow, which is bad. Trust me, I'm not a fan of that. But, but we've, that's, it's not even the discussion. There's, there's no discussion about these children and, and Planned Parenthood and, the, and all of this. There's none of it. No discussion. And, and we wonder, are, are we odd? Now, remember that in Acts chapter 2, there were only 120 Christians in the entire world at that point. 120 Christians in the entire world at that point. By the end of Acts chapter 2, there was 3,120 Christians. And by the end of chapter 4, there will be 8,120 Christians in less than a week. What does that because every time that America's gone to a secular mindset, and, and trust me, this isn't the worst that we've ever experienced in America. We've had, we've had times in American history that have been absolutely awful. And for those of you who are saying, well, let's get to the text, I'll get to the text. <laughs> this is context. You know, when, when our founding fathers established this country, 13 colonies, and um, a handful of them were slave states where they... they were adamant about slavery. So for the sake of the compromise, they agreed that, that they would in, incorporate as a nation allowing this, but there was a, an end date, and by the time that that end date had been established, slavery in the United States, you couldn't buy or sell slaves anymore, and it was finished. Until the very first slave-owning president, or she's a slave-trading president, not slave-owning, slave-trading president, um, uh, Andrew Jackson came into office. When he came into office, he put John C. Calhoun into, he put Calhoun into the Supreme Court, and all of a sudden they pushed uh, the Supreme Court to establish slavery once again in the United States. And, and it brought it to a point where it, was, it, it just began to grow and grow and grow. And all of a sudden, we, we had um, uh, the Kansas-Nebraska Act, that any new, any new territory that would come in as a, nation, as a state, they would decide based on the population be slave or free. And that's why he had bloody Kansas. And so here, we had actually done away with slavery long before England had, but because of a president, through the Supreme Court, not through the legislature, not through the populace, not through a representative form of government, but through the Supreme Court, reestablished slavery upon the land, we now get to a place of the Civil War. And at that point, when they had finally done it, and they declared that, uh, that it was legal to enslave another human being at the Supreme Court level. It was legal to enslave another human being. Finally, Christians in America said, that far and no further. Now, a lot of folks think, well, where did the Republican Party come from? It came from 19 people in a congregational church in Ripon, Wisconsin, or Ripon, Wisconsin. And, and they, were, they were abolitionists. They formed the party for the sole purpose of abolishing slavery, and they were all believers. They met in a church. Now, it's not that way today. I'm not saying the Republican Party is the God party. I'm saying it, its foundation was there for the sole purpose of abolishing slavery. Everyone laughed at them. You know how they started their meeting? Three hours of prayer. By 1854, they had an influx in the House and the Senate, unheard of in a third party. An influx in the House and the Senate, because it was the Whigs and the Democrats. An influx in the House and the Senate and got a president elected by the name of Abraham Lincoln. By 1860, when he was into the office, 1854 was founded. 1860, they get the influx in the House and the Senate. And, and what does he get as he abolishes slavery, returns America uh, to this, removes this scourge from America? He gets a bullet to the back of his head and 650,000 people die in a field of battle. But do you realize, do you know who D.L. Moody was? You know what he did in the Civil War? He was an ambulance driver. Revival was going on both in the southern camps and in the northern camps because people were fervently praying during this period of time. You know how that started? 1857 in, a, in the second floor of the Dutch Reformed Church in, in uh, New York. 
um, Jeremiah Lamphere. He started a prayer meeting in 1857 because nobody wanted Christ. The churches were in decline. They were all closing their doors. America was in a quote-unquote postmodern realm. Everything was secular. They were in, 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 there was division racially. The, the blacks hated the Irish. The Irish hated the blacks. Uh, the Irish couldn't understand why the blacks were getting preferential t- treatment because the Irish had been enslaved. It was white slavery, which was just as oppressive as the black slavery. I haven't read about that, but you can do that in your history books. And, and there was an anger, and there was, there was race riots because these white Irish were fighting for the emancipation of the blacks, and the blacks were taking their jobs in the slum areas of, of New York. And so all of a sudden, this is it's just erupting. It's a cauldron of misery and sin and, and degradation. And where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. 1857, one man gets together. Nobody showed up for the prayer meeting. And he just kept persevering. And finally, the prayer meeting exploded to the point where it couldn't be held. And it, and it started to spread through the city, and they started holding prayer meetings to the point where they, 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 couldn't, they, they couldn't contain the prayer meetings. And it spread over to Chicago and went to other major cities, Philadelphia. And in, in less than 13 months, three, or 11, or no, a million new believers were added in less than 13 months. Now, in a nation of 33 million, that'd be equivalent today of a nation of 360, it'd be, uh, what was it? You can figure out the math. It'd be about 8 million people. Could you imagine 8 million new converts today in America? Not converts. I'm talking about people, it, Holy Spirit is filled on fire to change the face of the nation, enduring 650,000 deaths where every family lost a brother, a father, a nephew, uh, a, a son. Every family and they endured that. And my, and my point is this. As we've been going through the book of Acts, systematically, if you haven't caught it, the main theme for what is inspiring every aspect of, of this Holy Spirit dunamis power is prayer. Now, I'll, I'll keep preaching, but nobody will be praying. Keep preaching, nobody prays. But it's all about prayer. You have some of the finest live music that you can receive two to three times a week. But that doesn't move churches. If it did, we would have conquered the country by now. We have the best musicians in the world. No, seriously, think about it. Some of the musicians that have come out of Christendom are phenomenal. Phenomenal. You, you look at The Voice and you look at America's Got Talent, you look at, they're all Christian back, they've all gotten their training in the churches. If music can change the nation, we would have accomplished that. Preaching. We, we rule the roost when it comes to expositional preaching, when it comes to, to doctrine, when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth. And going. If preaching could have accomplished this, name for me one radio station that existed when this was... And how many, how many exegetical sermons can you hear in the course of a day if you turn on the radio? Endless. That's not saving the country. It's not saving the country. You know what will save the country is when our hearts are broken. These people are grieving over the condition of Rome. They're grieving over their families. They're broken by the conditions of the world. 120 people turned the world right side up. Started with 12. You know why, you know why they won them? Because they loved them. The church in America is isolated today. We love our little enclaves with our doctrine, and those are the enemy. Well, get out of the building and get in, involved in the lives of, of those people and have your heart broken. Serve them. Figure out a way to, to speak truth to power, speak truth to trauma, speak truth to trial, speak truth to, to families. How many people do you have in your life where you have the ability to do that? And, I'm not, and you know, apologetics is good because we're to defend the faith, and there's, there's a realm for that. I personally think that's in the civic arena, quite frankly, and in science. But when it comes to day-in and day-out activity, quite honestly, apologetics doesn't win people to the Lord. Love does. Speak the truth in love. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Balance it. And the other aspect of it, too, is... 
you don't see anywhere in here where there was a cultural war. That's what we're dealing with in America is cultural wars. Oh, the Supreme Court decision. And the da, 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 da. Today I got some, a letter from somebody that sent me uh, with a platform for the Los Angeles County Republican Party, and they asked me to review it as a pastor. Would you tell me how you feel about this? And, and in California, traditional marriage is shot, and they're asking me, how will evangelicals respond if you write into this? And I got to spend the entire day speaking truth to power, talking to people about the Lord, talking to people about the importance of the First Amendment, why religious liberty is a foundational principle that can't be destroyed. And you know why, you know why marriage is dissolved? Because the church doesn't even honor it. When our hearts are broken and we're grieving, the only way to change and to watch thousands come to Christ, 3,000, 5,000, is we are on our knees asking God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Music won't do it. Preaching won't do it. Nice buildings aren't going to do it. Advertising's not going to do it. It's got to be concerted, crying out, desperate, heartfelt prayer. God, save us. Help us. But we won't do it until we're desperate enough. I get that. You know, one of the reasons why people would listen to D.L. Moody is because he, he would preach about hell, but he'd weep when he'd do it. We don't weep over the loss because we're angry at him. We're angry that you would redefine marriage. I hurt for them. They have no idea the beauty and the power that is found in a marriage that honors God. That's where we should be. Our hearts should break for them. And, and then we look at the church today, and we're divided. There, there's, there's, there's bias in the church. Generational bias. Where are our junior hires? They're in another room. Our high schoolers, are in, sometimes they're here, but sometimes they're in another room. We have the men's ministry and the women's ministry. It's all self-focused containment. And the reason why I'm struggling is because in in Acts chapter 2, when you get to verse 37, Peter preaches this scorching sermon. And if you want to know what kind of preaching we need in America today, just go through the sermons in the book of Acts. And when you go through the sermons in the book of Acts, see how they refer to God, how they use illustrations, and how they refer to themselves and how they refer to others. And there's a firmness in what they do. But in verse 37, after he finishes his sermon, the response of the people, and by the way, before he preached his sermon, what did he do? There we go. Let's work with it. Come on now. What did he do before he preached his sermon? Prayed. Prayed. Was it just him? No, they were of one accord. They prayed. Now when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that you shall receive the gift of who? Not it, who? The Holy Spirit. A person, not a force. Do you have it? It what? Him? He? For the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. The church, we have our doctrine down. But here's the problem. Part of the church has taken the, the understanding of, of, the, of the silent member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and, and they've turned it into this bizarre, odd, strange, unscriptural manifestation. I've seen it. I love what Jim Cimbala said, playing basketball when he was a basketball player, and the score was 29 to, to 6 at halftime, and the coach, they'd be losing 29 to 6, and the coach would say, hey, we're down 29 to 6. We're going to have to do a press. We're going to have to set this up. We're going to have to do this. He didn't have any of the, of the players come in and go, you know, I don't receive that. I don't, I don't receive that. That 29 to 6, I don't receive that. Now, I, I understand where that comes from, and I understand why you say what you say, and I don't, I'm not making fun of it. You know why it was down 29 to 6? Because they weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you can say, I don't receive that, but you've got to change some things. You've got to change some things. You're overweight. I don't receive that, brother. (laughs) You've got to change some things, Rob. 
your blood pressure is high. I don't receive that, doctor. I don't care if you don't receive it. You've got to do something about it. And then in the same regard where you get that, the, 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 the unscriptural side of it, then, then you have what you would consider this doctrinally sound church that just completely removes the third person of the Trinity or the silent person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that's completely removed. And, and it's all doctrinal teaching. Just. But, but signs and wonders speak the truth in power. They go together. You, you can be truth and, and, and rightly divide the word of truth, but where's your power? There's a balance there. The Holy Spirit is the one who touches hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms lives. You remove him and you, and you don't even engage him. But if you mock him and make him out to be some sort of a comical character, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. I, I don't know that Christ has ever asked me to bark like a dog. You know, I, I, I would like to see us crying out to God to be filled with his Holy Spirit. You know what the filling of the Holy Spirit is? The baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know what the manifestation of it is? It's what Paul, excuse me, it's what John would declare would be a healthy church, the embodiment of love. Love for your enemies, love for your family, love for your neighbors, love for your community, a heart to serve. It's a baptism of love. Transformative that our lives are, are totally rearranged by the touch of, of God upon our lives and we're filled to overflowing. People can't even explain it. I don't want to do that anymore because it takes me out of the ability to do this. I don't want anything to come between me and God. And so this is what we see that the Holy Spirit they would receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what they wanted. They wanted lives like the apostles had. You look at the church, we're no different than the world. They know what the world's like. I would leave you with this as we finish in Acts chapter 2. Abraham and Sarah, as they're coming into Egypt, Abraham turns to Sarah and says, tell them you're my sister. Now it was true, his half-sister, the same father, different mother. But he's, he, a, half, a half-truth is a whole lie. And so he's seeking to deceive Pharaoh because he knows that if, if that's his wife, they'll kill him and take her for their harem. But if it's a brother, they'll honor him to get her. And he, he wants to work them. But for Sarah, she's obedient to obey her husband's command because she can say the truth, I am his sister. Now, if they want to ask anything else, I'll tell them that too. And sure enough, they get into Egypt. Pharaoh blesses him. And all of a sudden, that's not the way you kiss your sister. And it, it comes out. Humiliated, they leave. They leave. And they go back to Bethel and they pitch their tent between Bethel and Ai. And, and, and then God establishes this, this kingdom and, and he brings Hagar out with him. And, and Lot is affected in their time in Egypt. But here's, here's the point. Sarah was different, but Abraham wasn't from the world. And, and, and when they went down to Egypt, Pharaoh was like, I know what beautiful women are. She's beautiful. You know why she was beautiful? Because she was obedient to the Lord and, to, and, and, and obeyed her husband as unto the Lord, whose daughters you are, the scripture says. She walked with the Lord. There, there had to be a countenance about her that every man in Egypt wanted to be around her. They were drawn to her. They're dismissing him. He just get out of the way, Abraham. But that woman is different. But all of a sudden, when they realized she was in on it, or however it, it came down, it was almost like Pharaoh said, I have wealth, and I've got women. I didn't have what you have. Whatever this countenance is, whatever this joy is, whatever this, this contentment is, I've never seen that. But you're just like all the rest. Now get out. And you know what? Take everything I gave you. I don't care. Could you imagine the revival in Egypt? Had Abraham walked by faith in power of the Holy Spirit and not in fear to lie and to... We're to be different. We're called out. We're the ecclesia. So then uh, Acts 2, verse 40. 
And this is where we close. And with many other, not the entire sermon, but just this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation, which we, we can all testify to. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly. Now this is a church. Pay attention. Because I'm tired of people not understanding how a church operates. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in what? What is fellowship? Opening your life to somebody else and letting them speak into it and you get to speak into theirs. Living in community where you can hold each other accountable. Being able to see us at our best and our worst. Applying mercy and receiving mercy. Applying grace and receiving grace. Engaging in a community and and participating. Not coming in, sitting down, leaving, and getting your little God jolt and then moving on. It's a family. And, and if, if we treated the church like we treat our family, would we still be married and have kids in, at home? But we get into a church and we go, what's in it for me? I'm out of here. Or, or the littlest offense and we quit. That's like divorce. The early, the early fathers would, would covenant. That's all they had. The Ugandans look at us in, in America, and I was talking to Dr. Lumala. They look at us like, what do you mean you shop a church? Are you kidding me? And you would leave? It's all we have. And, he, and, and, and so you see that it's doctrine and it's fellowship and breaking of bread. That means you invite somebody over to your home. You do that? Well, I don't know. I mean, looking around the crowd here, I'm not sure I want them over for dinner. They probably eat a lot. It's a generous heart. And in prayers. You know why I call to corporate prayer? Because the scripture calls us to corporate prayer. A family that prays together. Do you realize the significance of what God has done through that Sunday night prayer service? How we have systematically affected the country. I was, I was coming out of Umami Burger with Joel Price, council, council member. I'm coming, and, and a family comes up to me, and she says, my father heard you in Washington that you were doing this Issachar training with pastors across the country. I say, yeah, I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm also going to be in Austin, Texas in August. Training, trying to train over a thousand pastors to run for all. She said, my, my father was so touched by that. I, and, and as I sit down with Joel, he goes, you know, yeah, yeah. And then another person comes in. Oh, Pastor Rob, this is so excited about doing Oh, yeah, how are you doing? Another person comes in. He goes, how many people do you know? I said, I, I've never even been to a mommy burger. I didn't know I had friends here. But that's prayer. That's, that's the power of prayer. Almost finished. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs. You know what we've, we've experienced in the church since we started our Sunday night prayer service and engaging in it? Unbelievable healings. Stage four, inoperable cancer. This is a death sentence. And people have gone, you, you have three months to live. They're now on their second year. We have seen signs. We've seen wonders. Oh, those are, those are you know, early church. That's apostolic gifts. They're gone. No, they aren't. No, they aren't. You come and participate and tell me they're gone. And then the other thing is they sold their possessions and goods and divided among themselves anyone who had need. I'm going to leave it at that. I want, to, I want to tell you this. It seems like churches focus on tithe messages because the one thing that we can do to make ourselves seem significant is build. And if a church is healthy, you never have to ask for money. The needs are met. And this is one of the coolest things. I'll call some of you and I'll say, you know, I heard that you're struggling. I'm just calling to see if I, oh, no, no, somebody in the church came over and helped me, and it's all set, Pastor. I'm like, who? I don't even know their name. They just came over. I'm like, yes, yes. I, I called Pauline Donovan today. She's got a carotid, carotid, carotid artery. Carotid, carotid. And uh, real scared. And, and I, I, do you need a ride? No, Linnea's going to take me. I'm like, this is so cool. This is this is this is how a church operates. I, I don't I don't want to I don't I don't want it to be one dimensional. But all of this is a reflection of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see three thousand people come to Christ, and there's still there's gladness and simplicity of heart. It's almost like oh yeah, are you a Calvinist? I don't even know what that is. Praise God, give me a hug. <laughs> are you are you are, are you you know? It's it, not to avoid doctrine because there's educated and they can go further. With, but that doesn't save. 
praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. Those who are being saved. Simplicity of heart. You go, well, you need to be learned. You need to go to seminary. Okay, let's go to Acts 4 now. And we're going to finish with the next 31 minutes, which is what we have remaining. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. By the way, laying hands means doesn't just mean they arrest and they beat them. And they're used to that. The Apostle Paul, uh, the, I love it, wherever he went, it was either a revival or, or uh, a riot. And he never called ahead to see what the hotels were like in each city. He called ahead to see what the prisons were like. That's the same with, with, with the apostles, Peter and John. And so they laid hands on them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. They preach a sermon, get put in jail, and 5,000 people come to Christ. Ananias and Sapphira, they're, they're struck dead, and the church grows. That, that, I've read church growth material. Nowhere in there is, is, that, is, is that how you're supposed to do it. Nowhere. This is dunamos power. 5,000 are added as the two people who preach go to prison. This is the boot of Rome. Go on and on and on about how bad America is. It, does, it pales in comparison to Rome. And the cultural war is not going to win it. Your broken heart and crying out to God will. That you weep for them. The, the, they're not going to be able to grow up in the home you grew up in. These kids aren't going to have the same life we had. Doesn't that break your heart? Well, change it. Call out to a God who can fix it. Or just do this and, and this and build these. Or pray and cry out came to pass on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes as well as Annas and the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together. So the high priest, the, the, the religious elite are all gathered. <clears throat> and this isn't, right, this isn't just the religious elite. This is the civic. This is the governmental elite. These are the ruling class. This is the city council, the supervisories board. This is, this is it. They're making the laws, the Supreme Court. They're in their black robes. You got it? You got the picture? And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? They're looking and saying, you are affecting our power base and the people we have suppressed, and we want to know how you're doing it because whatever this name is, there's some power in it, and we got to shut you down. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, stop. Nobody's going before the Supreme Court and being effective unless they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to change the the spiritual condition of this nation unless they're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are not going to see a miracle or a transformation or a change in in the, the sociological, anthropological condition of America until we begin praying. God, fill me. Help me. Use me. Let me ask you this. What is it that breaks your heart? Have you prayed about it? What is it that grieves you? Have you been crying out to God in prayer? Have you been interceding? And so, by what power or by what name have you done this? We, we want to know. Now, stop for a minute. Nobody in America is impressed with the church. Nobody. They're so unimpressed with us that they make fun of us on the news every day. They make fun of us in sitcoms. They, make, they mock us in the newspapers. They, they show our, and I got to tell you, when they show our preachers preaching and the, these massive arenas filled with people and a big smiley guy, and, and everybody's just thrilled, and they, they show people fire and brimstone yelling, Jesus! And, and you just go through the whole spectrum of every preaching style. And I watch it, and I have to tell you, I'm like, is that us? When I've run for office and they show a video of me saying something, I'm like, I said that? Oh my gosh. When you see it through the eyes of someone else, you're, you're grieved. And you know how we know it's a cultural war? Because we're so inoculated, we're so isolated within the walls and so angry with them outside 
that when we step outside, when we try to talk to them, they don't even know the language we're speaking. You need to repent. What is that? Do you realize that we're pre-trib and the rapture is going to happen and we're going to be taken up in a twinkling of an eye? What? I've got a drug problem. What, the, what are you talking about? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? I don't even know. What, what trip are you on? Trip what? I'm going to Ireland. What? <laughs> Where's the power? I mean, we're impressed with our buildings. So what? We're impressed with our music. So what? Not to diminish the heart of the folks up here. Please understand that. Nor the work that we put into sermons. Don't diminish that. But unless the Lord builds the temple, and the only way that the sermons are empowered, the music's empowered, the people empowered, is when we, the people are prayerful. That's the connecting point. And so when they ask what power and by what name, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. You know what's amazing? Jesus did it. If the pastor takes credit for building, then the pastor takes credit when it, decre- when it declines. I have never invited you to the church. And I've never asked you to leave. I'm not in charge of growth. If I can manipulate growth, it's a sad church. It's a sad church. The the clear depiction here is what do they do? The entire focus is on who? Jesus. Who helped the man? Jesus. Pastor, that was a great sermon. Well, thanks. Praise God. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I've told you this a thousand times, the illustration. Don McClure gets a brand new car. He's my pastor. Back when electric windows just came out. His three boys were in the back seat driving in daddy's new car. They go, daddy, where are the handles for the windows? He says, oh, this is a very special car, boys. You command the windows to go down. Oh, oh. This middle boy, Michael, goes, window down. He says, son, say it with authority. He goes, window down. And he's got the master controls. And the other kid goes, window down. Window up. Window down. He's working the device. He said this at a pastor's conference. He turned to all the pastors. He said, you know, when somebody comes up to you and preaches, uh, commends you on your preaching, you know what they're saying? I love the way you said window down. What does that mean? We are a non-entity. You want to give me thanks? You're wasting your time. Corey Tenboom, and I know you want a physical connection. Corey Tenboom said when people would give her compliments, she'd take the rose and she'd put a bouquet together and she'd give the bouquet to God. Why don't you just take the rose to him on your own? I mean, I, trust me, I like it when folks, are, I, I want to encourage you, Pastor, if you can see it on my face. That's all right. But the reality is, let us all be dependent on the Lord. If Pastor Marty starts saying, you know, the shortness of breath is gone and I'm I'm completely healed. How did you pray for him? How did you put the oil on his head? What was the specific prayer you prayed? You're going to try to analyze it. I had nothing to do with it. Neither did your hands. The oil represented the Holy Spirit. Our hands were declaring God. You fill us, fill him. Touch him. God gets the glory. And what's cool is, if you give God the glory, the rest of it is his problem. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus of Nazareth, by whom you crucified, which is the truth, I'm speaking in love, I mean, you crucified him, uh, God raised him from the dead. By his, him, this man stands before you whole. He, Jesus did it. And he's, been, he's risen from the dead. He, he was crucified. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. I mean, this whole thing's built on him. It's all about the Lord. This whole church is founded on Christ. And we're not going to stop preaching his name. 
Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must, and that's an imperative, must be saved. So we just want you to know that. Lord bless you. And that's speaking truth to power and speaking it in love. I've had three conversations a day with people in power where they're going to say something and, and, and lovingly and scripturally, and I say, you know, the scriptures say, I begin with there, you know, God's word says. And do you know, I, 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 of the three candidates that ran for city, four candidates, excuse me, that ran for city council, I was the least qualified in governmental understanding. Dan Roundtree could run circles around me. And why is it that when I say, you know, God's word says, all of a sudden, there's, there's a depth. And, and, and they're moved. And they're drawn. And I'm not even in instigating the conversation. They are, and they want more of it. And it's just natural flow of conversation because I've prayed before I got there. God's orchestrating the conversation. I have a love for them. I've been praying fervently for them. I have a heart for them. I, I want good things for them. I want them to be blessed. I want to understand them. They're not a notch in my belt. I don't want to get a checkoff list that I saved them. And I can tell somebody that I led so-and-so to the Lord. You didn't lead anybody to the Lord. Holy Spirit draws. The Holy Spirit transforms. He does it all. And if you're fervently crying out and just saying, God, you do this. The cool thing is, if they get angry at you, and they want to put you in jail or beat you up or get you unelected or you know, I, I love you and I love the Lord and I, I, you know, and I know you know that and you've seen the fruit of God's power. So, I mean, I got, I, I, and I, I was sitting across and I said to one person today, I said, you know, Ed Jones walked 9,000 homes. I think Dan Rantree probably walked 3,000. I think I walked 25. And a lot of you are going, you walked 25 homes? We did a lot of coffees, Don, right? But there's a whole different dynamic when I walk a home. And it's a, it's a spiritual issue, and, and I can't go as a candidate. I'm going as a minister, and it's, I don't know how to describe it. And I, I, probably, I probably get three homes in a day because I'd stop and talk to the person. But when I shared that with them, they're stunned. You, you walk, you walk 2,500 homes? No, no, 25. That's between the assembly and, and, and the council. And you won? Mm -hmm. How? The Lord. Where'd... The Lord did it. And I even told him, I said, I didn't even want to run for counsel. I was exhausted. I was physically burned out and emotionally burned out, spiritually on the edge. Didn't even want to do the counsel thing. God called me to it. I said, well, God, if you're calling me to this, you're going to have to do it because I can't do it. I remember the first day we had the meeting, hardly very many people showed up, and they were just as burned out and tired as I was. They're like, oh, we're going to do another race, huh? Okay, where are we going now, boss? It was exhausting. And yet, election night, we're down 75 votes. I went to bed, slept like a baby. I knew we'd wake up and we'd win. It, and this was a time where people came and said, God, God said we're going to win. He didn't tell me we were going to win, but this one he did. Woke up, boom. I thought it was going to be by 24 votes. It was 52. And, and when I share that with a person across the table, they're stunned. It's to the point where, how do, how do we even deal with a person like that? How do we run against them? I mean, are we going to be able, are you going to, uh, uh, that's power. It's all done by prayer. And to turn to some people, you know how hard it is to get elected for office? It is a really difficult thing. You think you know people, you don't know anybody. And then to walk into homes of people you never even knew you knew that are running the city, and then you see how the sausage is made. You're like, wow, this is bizarre. I'm off, but let's come back. <laughs> but their idea is there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved, and you give glory to God in every instance. Because he put you there to testify of him. He put you there to testify of him. And you do it with joy, and you love them, and they're not the enemy, they're opportunities. Amen? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. You know, God's word says, that is so profound. Where did you, I, I, sometimes when they say you can't, 
use the Bible. When I used to speak in public schools and you can't use the Bible or say Jesus' name, I go, well, Jesus says in 1 John 4, God is love. So I'll just describe love and give him definition of agape and that'll just be another word because God is love. And I'll teach you if they know who God is. If they know what love is, they'll know who God is. And so I walk them through that. And, and instead of using the Bible, I say, you know, an ancient religious manuscript. The minute I share that, they're like, oh. Ancient religious manuscript says greater love, greater agape has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. It's the ultimate, I got your back, love. Oh. God's word doesn't return void. You can put it in this way. You can put it in that way. You can wrap it up and throw it. You can put it on a plate. You can, and you just wait to this lovingly, and you're not like chomping at the bit. Oh, I got to get this in because I got to, I got to mark that off so I can put it into headquarters and everybody can see how many people I've saved today. <laughs> Do you know the person's name that you're speaking to? You probably should if you're going to share the Lord with them. You're going to be that connection point for them. There's a, there has to be a love connection there, heart. And they proceed to be uneducated, untrained men, but they marvel at their, their wisdom. My daughter Molly, uh, at some critical times, she'll call up, she'll go, Daddy, God gave me a word. I just want to share it with you. And I'm like, okay, honey, go ahead. I'm like, wow. Did you go to college? No, Daddy, I'm just a mother of <laughs> Oliver, <laughs> husband of Micah. Yes fascinating the wisdom that she puts forward touches the depths of my heart i marvel at that our young kids in that classroom are smarter than phds because it says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom they're wiser than the atheist phd you've heard the yeah okay then i won't go there i won't no you heard it i'll just leave it alone the rest of the people just don't get the joy of Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it is kind of... All right. Kindergartners, Stanford graduates, pose with a riddle. What's greater than God, more evil than the devil? The rich need it, the poor have it, and if you eat it, you'll die. Stanford graduates couldn't get it. The kindergartners got it. What's greater than God? Nothing. They didn't have to go any further. What's more evil than the devil? Nothing. The rich need it. Nothing. The poor have it. Nothing. If you eat it, you'll die. Nothing. Okay. So they're wiser. That's how it works. They perceived they're uneducated, untrained. They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 13, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Let God's power speak for itself. You know how you defend a lion? Let it out of the cage. Put God right there and say, watch God move. He is for you. Depend on him. Cry out to him. Entrust your life to him. I guarantee you he will move in your life. And stand there and wait. God's not going to put you on the line. He's not going to make you look stupid. They couldn't say anything against it. One more thing. That's the other. I have this access into lives that I never had before because they can't say anything against the move of God that Put me in that room with them. How did you get here? Good question. <laughs> I don't know other than one thing. God. When they commanded them to, uh, what, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, "What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it." Do you, do you think that the country would change when Christians started depending on the Lord and watching him move and he gets all the credit and we're not wanting to promote our, our colleges with our names on it and our ministries with our names on it and our buildings with our names on it and our plaque disease? If we were just invisible, didn't care who got the credit, we we're willing to be stepping stones for others to get to Christ and watch his power manifest, do you think that these miracles would make people move? I'll show you how a miracle's done. Go next door your neighbor who's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. You walk in, you sit with him, and you listen to that story till it rips your heart out. You bring him dinner, and you love on him. You help him with odds and ends around the house until your heart is just so broken. And the last thing you want them to do is die. And you see how their family's gonna miss them. And you realize the hopelessness of the doctor's order 
and the crushed spirit. And you say, you know what? My God can heal you. And I want to ask him on your behalf, if he would, would you let me pray with you for a miracle? Because I don't want you to die. I'll miss you. Now you got skin in the game. You say, I, I've done everything I can do, which is what anyone else can do. But that's not going to help you. What you need, only God can bring. Let's go to him right now. My daddy is big. and He's strong. My daddy can do it. Pray. Not with fear, not with doubt, but with conviction. And a broken heart. Watch what God does. He'll see miracles. We're almost finished. Where were we? Bold as Peter, counsel, saying, okay, what shall we do with these men? Notable miracle, and they can't deny it. Verse 17, but so it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And, you know, we, we in Christendom love to be threatened because it makes us feel as though we're accomplishing something. We love to be a martyr. They're being threatened because they're loving people. We're, we're being threatened because we're irritating. We, we, we want to march against another group of people. We, we, we want to boycott another, you know, we want, it's a cultural war. Why not be threatened because we're moving the culture? Because they're so moved by us. Does that make sense? So they called and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right or wrong in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. What are you, an idiot? But they're just saying, you go ahead and judge that. We've already figured it out. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Why would we stop doing this? We, we have got a 220 power line connected to the Lord, and people are, are being healed. And it doesn't fit your political agenda? Tough. Put us in jail. God will open them, and he will as we go further. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, Hey, you guys, they are coming down heavy. They're bringing in the Gestapo and the black boots. They've got us on a secret, double secret knock list, and they're going to come get us. It's really bad. And they're tracking us. They've got drones. 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 And satellites. And cameras and listening devices. I mean, and they know, they know everything about us. If you're right with God, you don't have to worry about anybody else. And they lay it out and they go, but you know what? That is pretty heavy. I got a call from Tim Hurt during the middle of the election. He goes, you know, we're going to run a hit piece story. He didn't say that, but that's what he's doing. He laid out, he goes, we need information on this, this, and this, because they wanted to refute and come after me for something. And it was, it was going to be a gnarly piece in the Ventura County Star. And I was in Santa Barbara at the time, and I'm like, Really? Really? And it, it made me angry. And I, I started getting like upset at Tim. And I just parked the car in the garage there in Santa Barbara. And I just said, you know, Lord, I am not leaving here till you give me a love for that man. Lord, just give me a love for that man. I am not running this because I hate people. I'm not running for because I hate people. God, it's not nice what he's done. I, I don't know his motivations. I don't know why he's wired that way. Just give me a love for him. And, and then, Lord, would you shut this down and take care of it? And he did. And this year, I, I, I don't remember anybody's birthday. Anyone in here, did I call you on your birthday? Anybody? Marty did, yeah, great. But did I? No, it's not because I'm mean. I'm just, that's not what I do. 
I remember Tim Hurd's birthday. The Lord woke me up and said, call Tim. I called him, left him a message, and then texted him. He goes, wow, good memory. <laughs> it's the Lord, Tim. Um, being let go, they went their own companions, reported all the things the chief priests and elders had said to them, so it's pretty heavy. And so when they heard that, what did they do? What did they do? Prayed. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The king of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed with Herod and Pontius Pilate and with the Gentiles and people of Israel, gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, we are in such a cool place right now. We're either going to die or you're going to be glorified. But either way, we're going to be with you or these people who we love are going to be healed. So light it up, God. They, they didn't go, you know what? We need to back off a little bit and we need to quit. We got to dial it down and be more culturally relevant. We shouldn't use Jesus. We should just say, you know, God and, and uh, just talk about it. But don't go into these texts because those are a little... No. No, be bold and fervent in prayer and then tender in speech. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. God's like, this rocks! He's just shaking it. They're going, it really does! Shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Boldness means almost prophetic. They're just, they're just pouring it forward, and, and, and they've got a word for somebody, going up and, go, you know, uh, just like, you know, Grant, and I've never met him before. How'd you know my name? God told me, and I got a word for you from the Lord. What? And you know, how'd you know? He just told me, and he wants you to know you're going to be delivered and healed. Praise God. Amen. And this is a verse God gave me for you. Oh. And why is that? Because great faith, faith is having, faith is having great need, and taking great risk. And they put it all on the line. And then God showed up big. And then we close with this, four minutes. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. You know what? It's amazing that when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, there's no division. You know what? When the crops are tall, the fences disappear. But when there's no fruit in your life, oh, all you can do is pick fly poop out of pepper. Just nitpick everything. Because you're just miserable. Just be about his work. And, you, and your heart is so sold to others. There's a, there's, a, there's a commonness. There's a bond. Not communism, but commonism. You know, communism is, is what's yours is mine. Communism is what's mine is yours. There's a willingness to give. You're not taking it from me. And the great power of the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power, great witness, great grace was upon them. Grace is great. Grace, I, I think grace is great. Imagine what great grace, how great, great, great grace is. That's, I think you understand. Nor were there any among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. You know, this is an economy. This is an economy where you are no longer tied to thinking your provision comes from your retirement plans, the equity in your home, um, how the stock market's doing. This is such a dependent position of reliance upon God that no matter how much you give away, you're going to watch it come right back. Read the story of Corey Ten Boom, uh, J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr left a widowed mother with three children, traveled the world preaching the gospel, and always sent enough money home to take care of his mom and his, and his siblings. And they were doing better than when he was there working. And he traveled by faith. And every time he went, he would give everything he had to the city he arrived, and it would just come back to him. 
This is, this is where you're, you've now, this, this is what, what you would consider like nirvana. You, you've, you've gone into another dimension. You're, you're so dependent on the Lord that you, Corey Tenboom would always speak to the Lord as Papa. And she had this Dutch accent. And, and she was always giving everything she had. She'd have a, you know, a, a thousand guilders and she'd, she'd have to, she needed a plane ticket, but the Lord spoke to her heart to say, give it to them. And so she'd give it to them and she'd have to go down to get the ticket. And she says, I need a ticket to such and such. A, that'll be such and such. Oh, I don't have the money, dear. But could you hold that until the Lord, until Papa brings it? And then someone would come up and say, uh, you know, Corey, I got this for you. I had some Lord put it on my heart and, oh, well, praise Papa. You read, read the endless manual manuscripts of George Mueller of Bristol. Pickup is uh, written by A.T. Pearson. He took over for uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And he wrote this book. It was his father-in-law. Wrote the book, uh, George Mueller of Bristol. You, you want to be moved by faith? Read about that man's life. George Mueller of Bristol. It's a good read. And so this is where they were. And Joseph was also, na- also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, that's, there's nothing like somebody who, who just blesses you. I have met in my lifetime some of the most generous people I've ever known. And... Um, they have challenged me to generosity. And it began with um, a man named Harold Mansellian. He would, he would ride through his lumber yard. It was called Farmer's Lumber in, in Fresno, California. And elderly man, he was in his 80s at the time. He'd ride through his lumber yard. He drove an, a, an old beat-up Ford pickup truck, wore these nasty clothes. Not nasty, but, you know, like he's been working on the farm. Not new, tattered. He'd walk through his lumber yard, and he'd pick up nails out of the, bend them, put them back in the box, you know, and, he save everything, and, and he lived on this old house uh, in the kind of bad part of Fresno. Loved the area. And that man, when he died, was worth millions. I didn't know, but I I had to. Uh, I was a youth pastor at a church, an Armenian church, and they said you can't continue with us unless you're going through seminary education. We require that you be pursuing full time seminary education. So I'm married. I've got two kids. I'm going to lose my job unless I'm fully enrolled at the Mennonite Brethren Seminary. I have no money. They don't pay me much of anything. I'm living in Section 8 housing. I go to the seminary. I sign up for a full course load of units. At the time, it was 395 bucks a unit or something ridiculous. or I don't remember what it was. Way more money than I could afford. Thousand, thousands of dollars for the semester with books and everything else. So I told George, Joyce Workington, the, the lady there, uh, admissions, and I signed up for the class, and she says, the money's due by this date, and I said, okay. I came back and said, hey, we're going to have to figure out where we're going to go for work, because I can't pay for that. And she said, well, let's pray, and I prayed, and I have to say, at that time, it was a faithless prayer. My wife, a little stronger than mine, a lot stronger. And um, I, I, it was the day that I had to call Joyce and tell her, uh, you know, I'm going to have to, I, I don't have the money. And just probably... I don't know, 45 minutes before I was planning on calling her, she called me. She said, Rob, um, you need to come down and pick up your check for your book money. I go, my book money? I don't even, I I didn't give you any money for books. She says, no, there's a check here for you to buy books. Yeah, well, books for what? I don't have any classes. She goes, no, your your semester's been paid for. I I said, who? She says, "Um, anonymous donor. I had no idea who it was. I remember sitting in the quad at the seminary and we were talking with a bunch of other seminary students. We are talking about the class and a bunch of other things. Come to find out, I think four or five of these other seminary students, maybe seven at the time, were all saying, yeah, they're being covered by a benefactor. I'm like, really? Wow, who is it? Don't know. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so now I'm working as a youth director and I got to take the kids down to Mexico and we're going to do a big project and we needed lumber. So I go down to Farmer's Lumber to get some lumber from, from Harold Mansellian. And he was in the old Sun Oil building. It was all kind of leaning. It was dilapidated. It was all run down. He goes, Rob, how are you? I said, good, Harold. And he says, you need some lumber? I said, yes, sir. He says, okay, come on in. I come in. He's got a picture of Eisenhower. That's how outdated everything was. And I notice on his wall these pictures of all these 
Lebanese Armenian kids. Each one represented 100 bucks a month from the Armenian Benevolent Union. He's got hundreds of pictures on his wall. I go, wow, Harold, you take care? He goes, oh, let's go get that lumber. He says, These are, this is my prayer wall. This is my prayer wall. I knew what the pictures meant, but that was his prayer wall. And he pointed out a couple of them. He says, this is Ani, and this is, this is Armen, and this is Hagop, and this is, you know. And I was moved by it. And we get all of this and load up the lumber. He says, go over to Rose. Rose had worked with him for 51 years. Harold had never left. He'd left Fresno twice. He left Fresno once to go to army training in Nevada for World War II. The war was called off and he came back. And then he went back for a reunion and then came back. It's the only time he ever left Fresno. Man was worth millions. He didn't travel anywhere. And I go, Harold. And I found out he, he would have missionaries come on furlough. He would loan them through Farmers Finance, which is his company, $150,000 to build a spec house. And he would give them the lumber as long as they buy it at 30%, pay back the loan, and all the proceeds would pay for their mission for the following year. And he, he did that countless times. I said, Harold, how do you do all this? He said, Rob, I live more simply that others may simply live. And then he, he says, uh, Rose will sign the order for you to go down to the plumber because I, I, you needed parts, and I called my friend um, and, and at Sarabian Plumbing. I said, okay. So I go over to get the order from Rose at her desk, and I look on the desk, and she didn't, she didn't cover the file enough, and I saw Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary, and I saw my tuition bill right there and the other seven seminary students. And I talked to Joyce later, and she says, Rob, he's been doing that for years. That's where uh, I cut my teeth in generosity. That's what God wants to do to our heart. We are so tight and cheap and selfish, so worried about our future and our retirements. and our. Can we just be dependent upon Papa? Could you imagine a church like that? Amen? I went six minutes long, but it was a good story. Any questions tonight? Because we don't have any time for it. God bless you. I'm going to go pack. (laughs) I'll see you on August 9th. God bless you all.